The first time Sue Paterno met Franco Harris was in 1968. He was a quiet, somewhat awkward high school student. His high school yearbook picture shows him with a close-cropped head of curly black hair, thick eyebrows framing his wide-set eyes, and a clean-shaven face except for a faint mustache above his upper lip. His dad, Cat Harris, had brought him on a recruiting visit to Penn State. The group of athletes coach Joe Paterno was hoping to turn into Nittany Lion football players included a friend of Franco's from New Jersey, Lydell Mitchell. One stop on their visit was the bustling Paterno family home. He came with uh, Lydell Mitchell, who then they came here together and are still friends. Franco's dad came, a very quiet, mild-mannered man. We had no clue what Franco was thinking. I think they, I think Lydell said, don't have any more kids because they were all they were running around the house and there weren't five men there were only three mm-hmm. so but that was the first time i met him one of the last times she saw him was last october when she hosted a dinner party that franco and his wife dana attended before the ohio state game one of the things so many people were grateful that we had the dinner because franco and dana were here and they got to have a conversation and everything happened listen you know two months later so they I got all these notes. So glad I had a conversation with Franco because they they cherish it because that was the last time some of them saw him. Thank God I was there and had that last conversation. In the 54 years between their first and final meetings, Sue and Franco forged a special friendship and part of what bound their relationship was a shared passion for helping others. A passion that brought them together as collaborators for many years in Pennsylvania's Special Olympics. Hello, I'm Tyler Towers, and this is Franco's Immaculate Legacy, a podcast about the impact Franco Harris made beyond the world of football and the quiet difference he made in countless lives. This is episode four, Franco and his Special Olympians. And then 11 are here. Family's important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all had to get through some things together. It's a sunny afternoon in early April, and my co-producer Chloe and I are sitting in Sue Paterno's living room in the same home where she hosted Franco at dinner last October, the same home where she welcomed Franco and his family in 1968, and the memories still feel fresh. And then his mother came when Franco decided to come to Penn State and play for us. His mother wanted to see where he was going, so she came up. And she gave us our first clue that Franco was never on time. They lived next door to the school, and he was always late for school. Um, Being on time is very crucial, so... Joe and Franco had a little thing about that. And I think Franco was always testing Joe. Sue was taken with him from the start. He, he was mild and polite and uh, nice to be around. And then once his sister came up and he brought her over, Elvira, and uh, his mother came too. It's, he's never been um, a loud mouth. Mm. Or he's always been very calm. Calm. It's one of those words that many of Franco's friends, teammates, and acquaintances have used to describe a man who never seemed to lose his composure, no matter what was on the line. A big game, a life, a reputation. When Joe got fired, um, Dana's mother had died, I think the same day Joe got fired. And then, so that was a Wednesday. They came up Sunday. The funeral, I believe, was Saturday. And when, I, when she said her mother had just died and the funeral was the day before, I thought, what are you doing here? But you couldn't get in the house because of the press. 
So he came in by the garage and I, he didn't come in and didn't come in. And I said, I'll go out and get him. And Dana said, no, just let him go. He was out there telling the press what he believed and how wrong they were. And this is how it was. He was the first one to stand up for Joe and take, um, address it head on. And he never was impolite or anything, but he stood his ground. I didn't hear what he said because we were in here. And, uh, but he was out there, I'd say at least half hour. And that's pretty long to talk to the press. But he was like that with everybody. He could sense um, when someone needed a lift. He could, he could help that person with a whole crowd around them. It, it wouldn't matter. He would pull them out of the group and, you know, make them feel important and make them feel special. It was that ability to make others feel special that led Sue to recruit Franco Harris once again. She eventually recruited him to volunteer with Special Olympics. Sue had been active for years with Special Olympics. For her, it was a deeply personal commitment. Well, actually what got me right there was our son had an accident when he was in sixth, sixth grade and had a fractured skull and was in a coma for quite a while. And we, were, we had a lot of miracles, and he survived. They did not think he would. He's an engineer. He survived well. But at any rate, I saw how much time it took to take care of him, because it was a long recovery when he got home, how much time that took away from the other kids. I mean, they did not complain, but I felt it, that I'm not doing enough for them. And then I thought, I need to help other people who have an issue at the house with maybe one child. I needed to help them so that this person, the child could learn more with the group. There was a time anyone with Down syndrome, they were sort of kept upstairs at the house when people came. Uh, now they're working everywhere. They're behind the cash register at the creamery. They're at uh, Walmart, they're at the supermarket. Um, but at any rate, I felt I owed because of the gift we had gotten of David surviving. To my favorite girl. That's Matt Porter. Matt is a Franco-loving fan who has been participating in multiple sports as a Special Olympics athlete for years. My favorite thing is softball throw. The throwing? Throwing. How, how far can you throw? About a mile. Matt knows Sue from his longtime participation as a Special Olympian and hers as a volunteer. But once I started, and that was in the mid-80s, I got hooked. So, <laughs> 91, I went on the board, and the rest is history. The one time, I started out putting medals on kids in the area in the mid-80s. And, you know, three, we do it by ability levels, three points up, three points down. So three young men were going, one had two hand crutches, one had a cane, I mean a, a crutch, and the other, and they were walking the track. And the one fell down, the one with two hand crutches. And I, I you know, I wanted to go, someone tried to help him up. I wouldn't have been much help, but I was going to try. <laughs> but at any rate... Um, he got up on his own and finished the thing. He came in first, which 
blew me away. And when I put the medal on him, he put his crutch in the air. <laughs> and I thought, you know, God, he had one challenge. Why two? I started to cry when he was getting up. I thought, oh, why two? <laughs> but didn't bother him. It was the kind of experience that Sue knew Franco would love as well. So she reached out to him. He readily agreed to help however he could. They had just initiated the Beaver Stadium 5K race that kicked off the Special Olympic Games. Sue asked Franco to be at the 50-yard mark to high-five the runners coming across the finish line. I asked him if he would come, and this was 2010, to the first run, and be at the 50-yard line and greet them. He was on the stage thanking the sponsors, said a few words. We don't script Franco because he wouldn't follow the script. <laughs> um, and then he would give his little speech, and then he'd do the countdown and start the run. And then we went over to the 50-yard line. We had one of those things. The deal with the run, it was they would do the 5K and then go through the tunnel that the players go through and go through the 50, and that's where Frank would be. And he, uh, the run was over, I think, make it hour, hour and a half, one day, two hours. He was still doing pictures and shaking everybody's hand. And I never had to ask him again. They came every year. And um, I think he was a big draw for the Olympics and helped us move it along and make it successful. And his wife, you know, she had him there on time every time. She's the one that got him everywhere. In 2013, Franco's work with Pennsylvania's Special Olympics was recognized when he received the first ever Beaver Stadium Run Community Hero Award. Then he started helping in Pittsburgh. And last fall, we went out to Pittsburgh to try to get people to give. We had an event at the um, stadium when we played, when Penn State played Auburn. We had a watch the game thing party. And he's out there playing cornhole with our, we had some athletes there. He was playing cornhole with them and had, and he has a good, he always is having a good time. He's never, nothing's ever a chore for him. And I know sometimes he's tired because he doesn't, well, he never slowed down. The success of the run had a lot to do with Franco being there. And I am eternally grateful. Sue says that every year is a little bit different for the Special Olympics. This year was no exception. But the biggest difference was that Franco wasn't there. Franco's legacy was on all the volunteers' minds. Sue asked his wife Dana to step into the role Franco had held as the Olympians' biggest cheerleader. When he played for the Nittany Lions, Franco's number was 34. So Special Olympics will memorialize his number in several ways. Instead of finishing the 5K at the 50-yard line, they moved the finish to the 34-yard line. And all the shirts now have 34 on the runners. It was just, we had to honor Franco to thank him. We had to do it. Moving forward. Going to retire the bib number 34. And finally, a new award will be established. It's going to be the 34, the Franco 34 award every year. This year's 5K, with its tribute to Franco, set a record, raising almost half a million dollars for Pennsylvania Special Olympics. You know, the top guy. Okay, he cool. You know, a good man. He just has a sense of uh, helping or being there for people. You know, it's too bad you didn't know them. Um, you'll meet someone else along the way, a baby like that, but not, not quite that good. 
Thanks for joining me today for a conversation with Sue Paterno and comments from Matt Porter. Today's producers were Chloe Sobel and me, Tyler Towers. Join us next time when the Franciscan sisters talk about Franco's work with them. That's next time on Franco's Immaculate Legacy.